That was Thou Shalt Not Steal by Glenda Collins, as produced by You Know Who, with a guitar, quote, solo, end of quote, by Richie Blackmore. And the um, cast, which is number 352, takes its title, Thou Shalt Not Steal, from that song. And I continue to be absolutely transfixed by the... I guess what we today call the counterintuitive and deeply accurate message of Joe Meek's many, many, many productions, which, as David Zoll recently said to me, are almost on the on the um, edges of psychotic, or um, you know, there's a mental, almost a mentally ill on the limits of rationality element. And he did um, really go crazy at the end of his life. But there's also a thin line here. There's a thin line between love and hate. There's a thin line here of brilliance that expresses what I increasingly feel is the truth of life. That is that the expressions of God's role or God's part or God's interventions or God's ultimate expression and um, incarnation of his presence in our lives is directly connected with the odd and unusual, unexpected and completely out of control um, experiences and situations where we have most clearly seen the hand of a a message from space. I was trying to uh, think of a title for the cast, uh, going to use uh, the title of a remarkable 1956, probably the earliest and most unusual of all Toho Japanese sci-fi Movies, um, and I wanted it to be called Message from Space, which is in fact a 1978 Japanese movie, which is not as good 
from my point of view, from a Joe Meek point of view, as warning from space. But the um, the warning, the power, the extrusion, the intervention of God's plan in our lives comes from the places where we do not want to sort of malleate it and uh, form it and shape it. And it's the biggest problem that I have. I'm, again, I hope you can identify with this. I am constantly seeking to force situations, mostly in my head, into some form of a preconception. I have a preconception about a person, and I'm constantly trying to sort of um, squeeze that uh, person's reality into my preconception about that person. And because my preconception comes from me and not from the person, it fails. Let me give you some examples. I'm... I'm uh, I want a particular professional colleague. I have a lot of, uh, you know, from many years of parish ministry in the church, I have many, many uh, former students, former colleagues, former mentors all over the place. And uh, one has, just because one got ordained at the youngest possible time and was in it from the start, you have all these different names and people. And um, I'm constantly wanting them, especially sort of colleagues of mine now or students of mine, to be something that they may not wish to be. And so when I, um, I'm i constantly, let's say I'm trying to um, get together with some <clears throat> clergyman I respect to for lunch to sort of have a debrief about whatever's going on in his life, and um, I really want him to like me. And he doesn't really, he, do, he doesn't want to have lunch. And uh, I find it very hard to accept, so I'll send another email, and then I get another, uh, you know, very moderate response, which is basically a no. And um, so I don't give up. I don't accept uh, because I've got a plan. Instead of waiting for the, you know, the person that does love you, you're constantly trying to um, make somebody who doesn't love you love you. This is the story of male-female relationships. You know, oh, I just so wish he over there would really look in my direction. While all the time, this other person who's sort of at my all the time around really does love me. And I don't um, recognize true love because I have an idea of it that is focused in the wrong place. Everybody does this. We do it all the time. And um, so uh, that's an example. Or I want a church that I'm desperately wanting to be a wonderful place or a good place or something like that. And um, it, uh, it, 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 uh, it disappoints me or the minister disappoints me again and again and again. And so I go, keep going back trying to hope, you know, hoping against hope. But the, the reason why that is uh, not an act of faith necessarily to beat your head against a brick wall is because you're not conceding. I'm married to a woman who is rem- for almost 50 years now, and I knew her before then, a remarkably concessive human being. She she is willing to take a stand, and she does take a stand, That she's a very, very strong human being, but she's not a She's not a confronter. She's not, she, she's much, uh, she has a gift of being able to go with the flow, to accept what's happening and not necessarily fight an impasse or a negative, um, you know, a, a, a negative uh, here and she'll go the other way. She's not going to necessarily fight. It doesn't mean she doesn't in some cases, but for the most part, she acquiesces and I'm um, the opposite and I'm going to get to a movie illustration in just a few minutes, but my lack of acquiescence is so um, means that I'm not really able to hear the message from space or the the Richie Blackmore um, connection. You know, Blackmore, who is a bit of a genius, actually. Um, 
deep purple, etc., 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 etc. You know what his hobby is apparently? It's watching German uh, television shows because he's fluent in German because he married, I think, two different German ladies. Uh, very unusual chap. But he uh, said, uh, reflecting on his guitar solos and his work all through the years, beginning with Joe Meek, I was always stuck in a musical no-man's land. And um, that makes it very powerful. It's a little bit like the former president of the United States. He, he's living in a political no-man's land. There's no one like him. Uh, and that's that's interesting. That, that that's interesting. What, whatever whatever the ideology is, whenever you meet someone who's living in a in a quote musical no man's land, listen to them because they they're they're channeling a warning from space possibly because you and I I'm constantly forcing this thing. Um, it's it's hap- oh, gosh I can four different examples recently and they're interestingly enough they're all clergymen. Four different examples of people who I've been hoping would get in touch with me or I would hoping would. Um, just reach out in one way or another. And uh, all the time, there are other clergy and other uh, students and uh, colleagues who do reach out and who want to hear and who want to talk and who want to have a two-way conversation. But the people that I want to reach out are quite different. So I'm really not listening to the Richie Blackmore uh, message warning from space, but I'm uh, listening to my own. I was at a funeral recently of a remarkable and wonderful person, but what struck me in the encomiums and the eulogies about this person that uh, that she was totally self-realized. She told you exactly what she thought all the time. She was a good listener, but she she, uh, absolutely and totally declared herself uh, constantly. She, you never knew where she, you never had any question about where she stands. And um, this self-realized person who lived a long and very devotedly Christian life, I did find myself getting a little uncomfortable because um, do I really want to live with a totally realized person who tells me exactly what she thinks about everything all the time and never lets anything just lie? And I, you know... Um, my answer was, um, I, I thought, oh, gosh, uh, that, that would be wonderful for someone who would love that. But I, do I really want to live with someone who tells me exactly what she thinks all the time? Um, I was just struck by the, um, is that really what, I, I'm, I'm so happy with Mary's acquiescence, not just her acquiescence to me, because she doesn't just acquiesce to me. The other, you know, I can give you, like a good wife, she is very, not only a sounding board, but she has very strong ideas occasionally when she feels that I'm shooting myself in the foot or something like that, and I can only give thanks for that. Um, do I really um, want, uh, however, someone who's entirely self-realized, uh, you you know, I, I've, I would feel intimidated. Uh, I just have to say, I'd feel a little intimidated if it weren't uh, uh, if it weren't um, covered in a deeply graceful and uh, self-sacrificial love. Which I don't care what anyone says. That's what I need. I need the one-way love of someone who has my good uh, and my quote best interests truly to heart, uh, unselfishly and altruistically. And that's really what's most important. And um, so uh, that's really what I wanted to talk about. I was watching um, what is some people consider Julien Duvivier's silent masterpiece, his last movie that he made on the, uh, the uh, breakthrough of sound was coming. And in 1929, he filmed a um, Emile Zola's novel, Ladies Paradise. And uh, 
the uh, he even filmed a sound version of it, which has not been preserved. But it's a brilliant movie. But what happens at the end is a shock, and everybody who um, knows Zola, and I do not know Zola. I know him a little bit, but not that novel. And uh, everybody who um, has some strong ideology when it comes to capitalism, because it's about really the onslaught of a certain kind of capitalistic venture that destroys the little man. And at first you think it's all really an attack on capitalism and capitalist thinking and corporate thinking, and it sort of is. Um, Very brilliant movie. Um, And uh, uh, Ladies Paradise, from it's just been released, as I said, on Blu-ray. But the ending in a sense, pulls the rug out from under you. It, it, in, the, in, the, in the instrument of romantic love between a capitalist's son and a, quote, little man's orphaned niece, in their surprising and uh, breaks through all the class barriers romantic love, a completely unexpected ending occurs. And you watch it and you say, well, you know, this is the Richie Blackmore part. I said to Mary, I said, I want to show you the ending. I want to show you the whole movie, which is spectacularly beautiful and brilliantly edited and feels like Sergei Eisenstein brought into Paris in the 20s with accuracy and power and emotional meaning, even though it's a silent movie. But the um, ending is... uh, it's a kind of gift. It's the Richie Blackmore moment because all of a sudden um, the narrative is shattered and a completely different and unexpected um, uh, resolution of the forces in the story um, comes into play. And it's really, what does it mean? Most critics who see it hate it. They, the, the secular critics see the ending, which is, I believe it's the ending of the novel by Amy Zola. The, um, the secular critics can't stand it because it seems to pull the rug out from under the kind of leftist presuppositions overall of the situation. But it happens. It's, it is how the novel ends. And when you see it, you know, we, we, we have to accept that. This is the Richie Blackmore moment. God comes into the broken situation of two completely defeated persons, one an upper-class defeated man and one a, quote, lower class, although that's not really the right word in this case, a, 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 a much a tragically defeated young woman. And love brings them together and causes a completely unexpected um, Richie Blackmore uh, resolution. And so that's why I'm um, really uh, telling you this, um, that uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the acceptance of what is happening is the um, Richie Blackmore non-sequitur ability to live. And if you don't, if you fight what's happening in favor of a narrative, and you're listening to someone who's done it all his life and failed, um, if, if you hear this message of, of acquiescence to what is happening, you know, we used to call it, what is the spiritual classic from the 17th century? Isn't it called uh, Self-Abandonment to Divine Providence by Cossad, the French um, mystic or French spiritual writer, self-abandonment to divine providence. Well, I'm going to close, uh, and then we're going to hear um, a wonderful um, Glenda Collins song produced by Joe Meek. You'll hear it, and Richie is directly addressed by Glenda Collins in the single. That's why I want you to hear it. It's uh, it's uh, um, Everybody's Got to Fall in Love, 
and uh, the song is typically lame, but uh, Richie is uh, brought in by name by the performer. Now, I mentioned a, a few months ago a, an Aldous Huxley movie from 1948 entitled A Woman's Vengeance. And I have here in my hand a piece of paper from her Hitler. This uh, not beyond the fringe. I'm holding in my hand the brand new Blu-ray, which Mary has given me very lovingly at Christmas, of Aldous Huxley's A Woman's Vengeance. And uh, at the end of the movie, and I won't say what happens at the end, but a man, played by Charles Boyer, has been unjustly accused of, a mur of murdering his wife, which he did not do. And um, he is, uh, the eve of his execution, someone in another part of the plot is trying to vindicate him or find out who the true culprit is. We know, the viewer, that he did not murder his wife, and he has been... Um, he has been uh, framed by a woman who hates him for having rejected him, <coughs> and romantically. And um, he is talking to his uh, love, <coughs> from whom he's had to be separated by the hangman in a few hours, and he says these most remarkable words about, you might call it self-abandonment to divine providence. He, this is a direct quote from the movie. After all, we did not ask to be born. I'm, this is a couple of paragraphs, but the last paragraph is the one. We've got to put up with life, he says, in the jail cell the night before he's to be executed. We've got to put up with life, even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand it. We can never understand it while we were actually living it. Life has to be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. So there it is. That's what I've suddenly understood. Meanwhile, what was I doing? The exact opposite of what had to be done. Knocking my hands to pieces, driving myself mad, raving against the injustice of the thing. But it is unjust. From the outside, yes. From other people's point of view. But you know, if you accept injustice has been done to you, if you say to yourself, well, this is what has happened, and I put up with it, I actually will it. Well, if you can do this, then in some strange, mysterious way, the nightmare makes a kind of sense. I know it's difficult to explain, but it's true. Now, those are remarkable words written by Huxley and put in the mouth of the condemned, unjustly condemned criminal, Charles Boyer who did not, in fact, commit the crime. Now, you'll, what, what, of course hap, what, of course, what actually happens is that the uh, God intervenes. In other words, once he's given up self-abandonment to divine pro once he's given up to what is, then something else happens that alters the circumstances that he had no part in at all. You might, what is it, let, what is it, let go and let God? Um, we say that, but... Um, I'm just somebody who's constantly trying to force um, uh, a foot into a shoe that won't fit. And I've learned this to my, um, to my inspiration and to my hope just recently in a whole bunch of cases. So that's my little message, and I hope you got something out of it. And here you're going to hear um, Glenda Collins speak to Richie Blackmore, to God. Love you. Thank you.